The Gospel of John, starting in chapter 6. So Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd followed him because he was performing uh, miracles. He was healing the sick. And so Jesus went up a mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. The Passover was near, so the, the feast of the Jews, the, you know, on a different Passover, it's the day Jesus is going to be killed. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Why are we to buy bread so that uh, sorry, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he knew himself what he intended to do, and Philip said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. It's a huge crowd. For everyone to receive only a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. So Jesus had them all sit down. He gave thanks, blessed the uh, bread and the fish, and just started passing them out. And there was enough for everybody. And then when everyone had eaten, he said, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. And so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So everyone was, you know, astounded by his, his multiplying of the food. They could see that this wasn't natural, that, that obviously he came from God. Um, but we'll see in a minute that he, their hearts weren't right in how they were perceiving it or, or the message that they were getting from this. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and to take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. And then when the evening came, the disciples went down to the sea. They got in a boat. They started across the sea to Capernaum. It was already becoming dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So two miracles here. For one, he's walking on the water. And secondly, as soon as he does get in the boat, they transport uh, to, to teleport, I guess, uh, to, you know, they're done. All of a sudden, they're over where they need to be immediately. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So the crowd... They jumped in boats too, and they went over to the other side, and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? They were confused how he had pulled this off. So Jesus begins to address them and their perception of things, how they were going about things. They're seeing the miracles, but they're not, they're, they're comprehending from their own fallenness. So Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. And so then they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you believe in him 
whom he has sent. Well, that's a very simple statement. In other places, he says also obey. But here, believe in whom he has sent. Well, that's pretty simple. And every Christian would, would say this. Even these people, they had already said. They just called him the prophet, right? So he's obviously saying something deeper than just a casual belief, but a believing in every area of your life, in all of your life. But then rather than accepting the fact that they've just seen these signs, they didn't see him walking on water, but they knew something uh, unnatural had happened because they knew he was on the mountain and now he's on the other side of the lake with without a boat. Um, they did see the food multiplied. So they have seen signs already. Now he's just said, believe basically believe in me, believe in him whom he has sent. And so then they're demanding another sign. What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Now he had just given them food <laughs> out of heaven to eat, right? But they're demanding it. Uh, I don't know if they're demanding that they always have food from him, like like the people in the wilderness did for 40 years. But they're making demands on him instead of getting in line. You know, it, it's, it's the fallen state of man that we should have things our way instead of saying, okay, God, you're good and you're God and I am not. I'm going to go your way. The fallen state of man is to demand he go our way. It's grabbing of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, when he wanted to give us all knowledge. But we are trying to take it for ourselves in our own way. And so here the same thing. They're demanding a sign after he's just shown them a sign. And so they've mentioned the manna from heaven that um, Moses has, uh, you know, shared. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So he's saying, Moses gave bread for a time, but it's, it's bread that's spoiled. Uh, he's saying, the Father has given you bread, which will lead to eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal happiness, eternal life. He's saying, if you depend on me, if you take in me as your sustenance, all your other needs are going to be met. It's a matter of breaking through and trusting in me in everything, seeking me in everything. When he first told them, you know, the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said, Lord, give us this bread. So you see, like they say with their mouth what they want. But then he comes back and he says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So he says, it's not really in your heart to believe. 
leave the old world behind, leave your old life behind and come to me and then you will be with me. You will have this eternal bread, this eternal life. And he's saying, I've modeled the way for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So he says, I've come down from heaven. I'm, I've done things, you know, come from places beyond your imagination. And yet, what do I do? Nothing of my own. I just do what the Father wills, and that is it. And because I do this, what he has given me, I will lose nothing. But will raise it up on the last day. So he's saying, I'm living in complete obedience and faith of the Father. And this is the way for you too. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So the, it, it says the Jews, I'm assuming this is like the Pharisees and the scribes, are grumbling about him. And, and you know, maybe other random people in the crowd. Um, maybe it's all the crowd, I don't know. But they're grumbling and already, and we're going to see they're all going to get very upset as he continues. Um, and he says, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And then they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? So again, we talked about before, Jesus says, uh, you know, a prophet's not accepted in his hometown. They knew him in the natural, in, you know, as a, as a child. And so the idea that he could be Messiah, that he could have the fullness of God in him, it was just something that they couldn't take because they couldn't believe in spiritual realities that it is the desire and it is the purpose of God to transform people into something totally new and into back to how he originally created Adam and Eve to, to be in his image, to grow in his likeness, to grow like God. They couldn't, they couldn't get hold of this. And so they're grumbling about it. And he's saying, you know, now he's saying I've come down out of heaven. What is he talking about? And so Jesus answers them and he's not, He's not placating them. He puts the truth right in their face for them to deal with, and to, and he knows they're gonna leave, right? He's. It's not an accident that they all run off, and Jesus saying, "Whoops, I said the wrong thing." He's speaking direct truth to them, and letting them sort themselves out on whether or not they want the truth. He says, "Do not grumble among yourselves." No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This chapter is my favorite way to do communion. And I was uh, delivering a, a word to a loved one <laughs> at one point during this. And, uh, and I... We did communion, and I read out of this chapter, and the Lord brought a hurricane wind the entire time. So this, this section is fairly long, 
And uh, as I read from it, the entire time this really strong wind was blowing. He had no doubt that the Lord was in it. Um, but I love it because uh, Jesus is very specifically explaining communion in a powerful way. And uh, whereas every other time in the Bible communion is talked about, it's, it's I don't know, it, it's a little more brief. It's a little more illusion. He's, he's saying much more directly that this is my life. Take in my life. Take in my flesh. Take in my blood. It will lead you into eternal life. And of course, it, it's not just eating elsewhere in the scripture. It talks about, be careful, check yourself before you take communion. This is a serious and holy thing. And so I don't simply mean someone walks by and you're doing communion. They, they grab some bread and wine and all of a sudden they've got eternal life. That's, that's not at all how it works. Um, this, but this is a, it's an entering into a sovereign spiritual moment with you and God and accepting this life, dedicating yourself to this life, accepting Jesus being your access point, your gateway into this life. So in, in some ways it's simply a symbol of your life, but it's more than a symbol because it is a, um, it, you know, it is a divine experience between you, the Father, and Jesus. So the people are grumbling again. How can he say that, you know, we're supposed to eat his flesh? That's disgusting. And, and you know, according to the law of Moses, that's, <laughs> uh, you know, if somebody's dead, you can't even touch them unless it's your family member and then you're unclean for, I forget, a week or something. Um, and, and so, the, you know, the idea of eating somebody, <laughs> that's, I mean... That's uh, absolutely disgusting. So they're like, what is he talking about? And Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. We're going to see when we get to chapters around 14 through 17, Jesus talks a lot on this theme, and it's actually when he's introducing the communion to the disciples and the, the Last Supper. Um, but here he's giving us a preview of that. And he and, and there's the same theme he's talking about, abiding in me and me in him. He's saying we're in unity together, that I am in you and you are in me. And so this, this sacred act of taking in his body and his blood is a, a time of connecting, a time of removing yourself from the old life, of eliminating those things, of repenting and turning to him and having him fill you up, him lead you in all things. So when you're talking about being unified with him, living forever, if you can accept that the, the broken parts of us, the selfish parts, the worldly parts, the the 
you know, the sin, the fallen nature of us is not going to make it into eternity. That only that part of us which is joined with him, joined with Christ, joined with the Father, um, is going to make it into eternity. Well, when we, when we, this is about our whole lives, it's about every day, it's not about just communion. But communion is a time where we specifically, consciously enter into this union with him. And we turn away from those things and we accept his life, his way. We worship him and we agree to obey him in all things. And then we have more of him, less of our old fallen self. And, and that eternal life is now coming into us now versus after we die. After we die... <laughs> If if we haven't been about this process, given ourselves, you now the the Father is the one who raises us up. The Father is the one that transforms us. So, I don't mean to say you know that we do the work, but we have to give ourselves to the work in order for Him to do it. And so, if we continually are giving ourselves to this process, then more of the old man is dying away and more of the life of God is entering in. And then that becomes more and more who we see ourselves as. It becomes more of, quote unquote, us or me or you. So that we are now living eternally and, and more and more of who we become in this life actually lives in past the death of this body. And so we're taking that eternity in now because we'll actually get to experience eternity versus if, if, if we have accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us in the minimal way, whatever the minimal way is, you know, agreeing with your mouth and in your heart and your mind that you're his, but going about a completely worldly life. What, you know, and I don't, I don't draw the lines, God draws the lines, so... You know, sometimes you look at people and you wonder, are they saved, are they not? And I don't know the answer, you know, in looking at somebody. But you absolutely can tell by looking to somebody, by speaking to somebody, if the life of God is in them and filling them, if they're growing ever closer to the Lord, that becomes evident with time spent with somebody. And that is the Spirit of God in a person. And that is his purpose, that he fill up a people in the earth so that all of creation can know him. That's what Jesus, you know, came to teach. He's like, You're, you guys are worried about food. This, there's so much more than that. Give your life to God for his purposes. Accept the challenge that I'm, that I'm accepting that Adam and Eve would never accept, that all your forefathers would never accept. And give yourself to his purposes, and then he will give you back the Garden of Eden that he promised to Adam and Eve. That he, Well, he, I mean, he gave it to them right off the bat, but they turned away from it. You can come back into this place. You can have far more than enough food and water to drink. You can have true life with God, but you have to come into this way. So he was teaching these things in the synagogue in Capernaum, and many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? So they were turning away from him. 
But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one comes to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and sorry, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now I meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So, first off, he says, you know, does this cause you to stumble? What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So he said, you're going to see much, much more amazing things than this. You know, you're going to see me die. You're going to see me come back to life. Um, and that, you know, obviously seeing your Messiah die, that, that must have been excruciatingly difficult to comprehend. I mean, who... It's we, we've all grown up with that concept, so we kind of oh yeah yeah of course he had to die then he had to rise. They experienced this without any understanding that that was going to happen. So they're following this man, he's Messiah, and then he dies. It makes zero sense to their natural mind, and so Jesus knows they're going to experience this, and he says, "You're having a problem with me telling you that you need to eat my blood, eat my flesh, and drink my blood. Wait until you see this." But he says, all these things are, are simply natural. I'm talking to you about spiritual life. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So he's saying, I'm talking to you about eternal realities. I'm offering you a way into eternal realities with with." No, actually knowing your creator, the one who created all the far off galaxies in the sky. You get to know him and live your life with him if you will take up this life. You're, you're, you have the ability to take up a life far beyond worrying about how you're going to eat or drink. And yet, you know, your hearts are not there. So he's, you know, he's, he's dividing the sheep from the goats right now in, in the people that are following him. And what happens is most of the people say, we're not following you anymore because that is crazy talk. And so he turns to the 12 closest disciples and says, are you, you know, what about you? He turned in away also. And, and Peter, ha, you know, has the most powerful understanding and heartfelt response. He says, you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? I feel like this is, uh, I don't know, I've experienced this in life where the Lord leads you along a way and you know he's in it. He's transforming you. He's turning away to, to the point where the old life, it just looks hollow you can't go back, but then you get to such a difficult, you know, he takes us through more and more difficult things in order to discipline us and transform us so that we are changed. He takes us through difficulties. And when we 
when we go through these things, <laughs> I again, I've been in the place exactly where Peter is right here. Like, I, this is so miserable. This is so difficult, Lord. How am I going to make it through this? And yet, where else am I going to go? <laughs> I can't go back. Like, I've, I've grown enough. I've learned enough to see what behind me is a, an empty shell of a life. But there's no real life in that. And I can't go back to that. <laughs> so, Lord, I feel like, you know, I'm stuck in this difficult spot. And, and uh, this isn't easy where you've got me. But where else am I going to go? Just keep leading and I'll keep following. And so that's where where Peter is. is Lord, you know, he doesn't understand. Eat your flesh and drink your blood. That you know, they haven't they haven't been exposed to communion yet. All he hears is, I gotta eat your you know, your muscles, your flesh, and I gotta drink your blood. That is completely disgusting. It's absolutely against the law of Moses. I mean, that's about the most hideous thing you can suggest according to a normal understanding of the law of Moses. And you're saying, I got to do this stuff? I don't understand it. And I know I don't want to do that stuff. But I, we seem to be at kind of a crossroads here where everyone else is leaving. And you're asking me if I'm going to leave because you said this. Well, you have eternal life. You have the words of life. You are that life. Where else am I going to go? I'm going to keep following you even though I don't understand what you're talking about. And so they did. And, but of course, Jesus knows that one of them is going to betray him. And then we're on, let's see, do we have time? Okay, I think we can do chapter 7. It tells, John just says, after these things. But we, we're going to see in the moment, it's Feast of Booths. So we know this is six months later, or a year and a half later. We, we don't know exactly, but... Um, I mean, maybe people have figured it out. I know it's it's very commonly held that Jesus had a three and a half year ministry. So I think some people have um, dissected all the gospels and and figured out it was three and a half years. Um, and so I'm sure other people have very definite opinions on whether this was six months later or a year and a half later. I don't happen to know that, but I do know based on the Feast of Booths, it is the holiday coming up here. Um, as I record this, let's see. This will be posted Friday, September 25th, a week from that time. So the following Friday, which would be, what, early October. Um, I think that's the second. Uh, In the evening, when the sun goes down, that begins the biblical day we'll call Saturday. So when the sun goes down Friday, the biblical day Saturday begins. And that is the first day of the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. Passover is in the spring, so there's six months in between the two. So we know there's six months have passed at, at the very least. He didn't. Jesus didn't want to be in Judea because they were trying to kill him. And so uh, the Feast of Booths was approaching, and his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So they didn't believe in him, yet they were aware that he's performing miracles. So they don't know what to make of him. They're not, again, uh, a prophet is not um, accepted in his hometown, right? That means his brothers, 
his brothers see that he's doing miracles, but they grew up with him. They know him. They um, they might have even heard stories from their parents about a miraculous birth, but probably don't believe it. Um, you know, we don't know whether they heard that or not, but, um, you know, that's a hard thing to believe. Again, we, we've accepted this for 2,000 years, so there's certain things we accept because we've heard them since we were babies. Um they're experiencing them. And so you tell somebody, well, if you had a friend tell you that they had a miraculous birth, uh, you know, as a virgin, well, you're not going to believe them, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> actually, I think my wife had a friend who was always scared that was going to happen to her, which is a really weird fear. <laughs> but anyways, it didn't happen. <laughs> and if it did happen, we wouldn't have believed her. Uh, so they're, you know, they're just not believing They've known him in the flesh, and they do not understand that it's God's purpose to transform a person, to transform a people, and that he, they were, he was starting with Jesus, and Jesus would be the Messiah that would open up this way that others could be transformed. So they just know him as a brother, and they said, hey, go show your stuff, man. You got these tricks. Go do them. They're, they're not about his purpose. They're about him, you know, sorting out what he is, who, you know, you think you can get the world to follow you because you got all these tricks. Well, go do them. But Jesus tells them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. So he's basically saying, you've, you're of the world, so you can go and do whatever you want, and the world is not going to care. They, they may even celebrate you because you're of the world. I am not of the world. And so the evil will come after me if I get outside of the Father's will. I have complete protection so long as I'm in the Father's will. But if I step outside of that, then I'm exposed to the enemy and he very much will attack me because he would like nothing better than to attack me. To show God that it is impossible for a man to obey him. You know, he's still upset that man was chosen to be sons of God instead of him. And so he says, I cannot step out of the Father's will. You go to the feast. My time is not fully And he waited around, and then, not publicly, but uh, in secret, he did go up to the feast a little later. And everyone's wondering about him in Jerusalem. Because, you know, remember, in the Law of Moses, everyone has to go up to Jerusalem for the major feasts. And so they're assuming he's going to be there. They've all come from all different parts of the country. They're all there, and they're, you know, wondering, where is he? And the people are grumbling. Some are saying he is a good man. Others, no, on the contrary, he leads people astray. And But people are, they're kind of whispering about him because they're afraid that the leadership is going to uh, get mad at them if they're openly speaking about Jesus. And then in the middle, middle of the feast, it's a week-long feast, so in the middle of it, uh, or in the midst, I don't know if that means middle, but in the midst of the feast, because uh, I thought it said somewhere in the last greatest day. Anyways, he... Um, he begins to teach, and the Jews, the leadership, I assume that means, are astonished because he's learned. He's never been educated in the way of the Pharisees, 
and yet he he knows his scripture and he's um, he's able to speak uh, with more power and insight than than they have and so they're just amazed by this and so he says my teaching is not mine but his who sent me if anyone is willing to do his will he will know of the teaching whether it is of god or whether i speak for myself he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. He's saying, you're amazed at, at my teaching, but I'm not teaching of my own. I'm not a mere man anymore, just teaching my own thoughts. I'm teaching you directly from the Father. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. So he said, if you have a heart to follow the Lord, to learn from God, you're going to see, you're going to hear that my words come from him. He says, he who speaks for himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So he's saying, I, I pour out everything I have from the Father and say nothing else. And so this this is truth. There's no unrighteousness here. He said, you're used to hearing teachers who believe they sound holy and righteous because they're teaching things about God, but really they're propping themselves up. That is why I sound so different from the teachers you're used to hearing. 19. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So he's saying, you, you live by the law, you have this religion based on the law, and yet none of you do the law. So what kind of religion is that? Um, the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Oh, sorry, I don't think I got that line. So he says, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And so the crowd says, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He says, I healed a man on the Sabbath, and you're upset. Because in your mind, in, you know, you've got this religious system built up in your head that says that is not allowed under the law of Moses. But he's saying, let me give you a counterpoint. You circumcise people, uh, which is according to the law of Moses, and actually it goes before Moses, back to Abraham. And you circumcise people on the Sabbath. So according to your own rules, that would be considered work. And, but you do it to, because you're seeing that there's a, a higher law at work. Well, I'm telling you, I am the higher law that God the Father wants to free everyone of the broken ways of the world. And I have done that. And he is glad that I have done that on the Sabbath. So... He says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So take your thought, throw your religion out. That's not to say the religion is not important or, or the what the religion is based on. The law of Moses, he's not saying throw that out. He's saying that's very important. But your interpretation, your understanding 
you're making a religion out of it so that you don't have to live a life with God, but instead can get by on a religion based on the words of God. He's saying this is faulty and it's judging according to appearances. Instead, seek the Lord, grow in the Lord, that you can grow and judge on a righteous judgment. So some of the people there are saying, isn't this the guy that they're trying to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? They're starting to think, well, they haven't killed him yet, so maybe he is the Christ and they know it. However, we know where this man is from, but wherever or whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. I don't know why they said that. They guess they weren't familiar with the the Bethlehem thing there. But... Um, but they're confused. They're starting to wonder, you know, what could this really be the Messiah? Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. He's saying, open your eyes, just because you know where I'm from in the flesh, you do not know where I'm from in the spirit, because you do not know the Father. It's not your heart's desire to follow the Father. You simply want to get by on religion and think you're a-okay with the Father. But I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So he causes quite a stir, and now they really want to seize him. Uh, but no one could actually touch him because the, the, his hour had not yet come. Like I said, if he had gone uh, to Judea earlier when they were trying to kill him and the father wasn't sending him, he would have been in great danger. They would have killed him. But here he'd gone and and the father was with him. And so even though they were wanting to kill him, they couldn't because you know the father just wouldn't allow that at that time. He can, you know, he can... Manipulate, control, I don't know what word to use. But he can touch every mind uh, that he wants to, whether someone that's given their life to him or not, in a particular way to protect his own. And so he, we see him doing that here. But So many are against him, but you see others that are for him. It says many of the crowd believed in him. But they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? So they were looking at that as the proof. They're seeing his words that are astounding and like no one has ever talked before. They've also seen the miracles and they're saying, you know, this has got to be the Christ or the Messiah. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And then the Jews are wondering, where is he going to go? Does he intend to go to the diaspora, the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is he doing? What is this statement? They said, you will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. So, you know, obviously he's speaking to the fact that soon he will be crucified, he will be raised again, and he will be, um, well, for one, he'll be totally in heaven for a while, and then he'll kind of pop back, but but he will be beyond their grasp because he will have transcended just being a man of the earth and, and be something far greater. He's also he He also used that in the present tense. So he's saying... 
that he has this eternal life now and they cannot come into it because they refuse to give themselves to this process to be transformed into this life now he has it's not possible for anyone yet but but even if it were if he had already given the holy spirit on shavuot or pentecost um their hearts are not you know they're trying to kill him their hearts are not to receive this life and so it's impossible for them to enter it and said Okay, let's see. Now on the last day, here's the line I was remembering earlier. The great day of the feast, so this is the last day of tabernacles, or last day of Feast of Booths. Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Okay, so we, we in the last chapter, we had the manna from heaven mentioned. Now, in this chapter, we see the living waters mentioned. I know I spoke about this recently, but um, one of the major, you know, most famous things from the time in the wilderness was they went three days without water, and they were grumbling, and they were thirsty, and Moses was supposed to speak to the rock. He didn't speak to it. If he had, he would have gotten to enter into the promised land, but instead he hit the rock with his staff, and water came gushing out for the people to drink. It's an interesting picture. Uh, Moses' frustration was to hit the rock with a staff. Um, but it's also, it's kind of a picture of man trying to accomplish something by their own power. As if, you know, if you hit a rock with a staff, water is going to pour out. But it, it's kind of what he's doing. You know, it's, instead of just obeying the Father and speaking to the rock, so it's clearly and purely the will of the Father to bring water. He hits it. So he he enters in his own physical power. And because of that, he was not able to enter into the promised land. We are also not able to enter into the promised land on our own. And Jesus is saying here that I am these living waters. So the, remember, Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths is a celebration and a remembrance that when the people of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, that he provided food and water. Their clothes did not wear out. They did not get sick. Now the people who disobeyed him, they all died. But a new generation rose up of people that were no longer slaves in mind and heart, but were a people of God that trusted in him. They grew up other than the two who trusted in him without having to um, learn it this way. Most of them had to grow up as a new people of God trusting in him. And so he provided everything and God said, always remember this and celebrate this feast that I am amongst you. That that the, the presence of God is amongst you. And remember, the spring feasts have all been fulfilled by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The fall feasts have not yet been fulfilled. So the the in, in Zechariah, which is a very end times book, talks you know, it's in the Old Testament, but it's very much an end times book. Um, so you can't say you believe in the Bible and, and not understand that that's talking about the future. It, it just doesn't work. I mean, you haven't thought that through if you think that way. Um, and Jesus, almost every word out of Jesus' mouth was quoting the Old Testament. So Zechariah says one day everyone will celebrate the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Every knee will bow.
And so we have to understand these, these um, you know, on, on Monday is the Day of Atonement, the holiest day in the Law of Moses, where only the high priest could enter in um, and, and uh, make a sacrifice for his sins and for the people's. We know Jesus is our high priest. If you don't think that day will have incredible meaning uh, in the future, if there's the scapegoat, there's the, the, the goat that is sacrificed for the people, there's the, the guilty goat that goes free, the, the, all the symbolism is in here. We've just passed the uh, Feast of Trumpets, where the, the holiday coming up after that, in a, you know, in about a week and a day, is um, this Feast of Tabernacles. And this is the one Jesus is speaking in. So it's not an accident that he's talking about these things. And he's saying rivers of living water will flow are flowing from me. And if you're thirsty and you come to me and drink, you believe in me, so you follow into my way. You enter in, not just believing in me that you're going to go to heaven after you die, but believing in me for a new way of life, for leadership in your life on a day-to-day basis. Then from your, so he's not just talking about himself. He's saying, this is what you're called to be. This is what God's purpose for you is. From his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So then you become that provider of water in the desert to a dying and thirsty people. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So again, these things had to happen. He had to fulfill Shavuot, uh, which is the day that uh, Moses went up the mountain and got the Ten Commandments. We know the prophet said one day the law will not just be on tablets, it will be on men's hearts. And so that was the day, the fulfillment of Shavuot, the fulfillment of Moses going up the mountain and receiving the law was the Holy Spirit being being given in the upper room to the disciples after Jesus had left. All these holidays in the Bible are being fulfilled. Four of them have been fulfilled. Three of them have not been fulfilled. This is a powerful year in the Lord. So we should be looking expectantly for things to happen. I, I believe fervently the Lord is not returning in the flesh this year. I think we got a ways to go because there's, I feel pretty confident on that because there's a lot of things in scripture that have to happen first. He has to raise up many mature sons that represent him in the world. Scripture is very clear on that. So we're not looking at the holiday as a time when Jesus returns yet, although I'm sure one of these three will be fulfilled in that way someday. But what about the other two? How is he fulfilling these things? I have thoughts, but let's just leave it as seek the Lord on these days. What He will fulfill these three holidays just as he fulfilled the first four. The latter rain is greater than the former rain. The former rain was pretty spectacular. All these things we're reading about in the Gospels. That was the former rain. A little bit into Acts. What about the latter rain? The scripture says it's going to be greater than those times. Well, that's the times we get to live in. This is exciting. When when God has set apart days, you're not getting... It's, you don't get bonus points in heaven for worshiping a certain day that God set apart. But he set it apart for a reason. Wouldn't you want to worship him in that way and to really seek him in that time? Well, these are the days that we're in. So the people are hearing these words and some are saying, this is certainly the prophet. Others, this is the Christ. 
Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. He didn't go out to prove. He didn't say, but I am from Bethlehem. I am. He left all that to the father. He simply obeyed the father and let them argue about whatever they want to argue about. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to him, Why did you not bring him? And the officers said, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees said, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees had believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Now Nicodemus, who, remember, he came to him in chapter 3, and then Jesus taught about being born again, said to them, our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And so they answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And then, and then my NASB ends with everyone went to his home. Apparently some early messages contain the first story in the next chapter in, in this chapter. Um... Well, you know, that's interesting because the chapters were added later, so I don't even know what they're talking about. Anyways, it, it, the story is in the next chapter, so we'll get to that then. Uh, I pray the Lord blesses you.